We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Cash Considerations Podcast, a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. Jason, my normal podcasting partner, he's trapped right now, trapped in Disney World, because the weather in Chicago is just unbearable. At the moment, we have a high of negative 15 degrees. If you live in Chicago, you know we're recording this on Wednesday, because sweet, sweet relief comes tomorrow, John Wilms, in the form of one degree temperatures, one degree high. Oh, yeah. My guest is John Wilms, a podcast superstar. How does Corbin intro you? Like a rascal, a scoundrel. Oh, yeah, something like that. The internet, John Wilms. He's an NBA writer all over the place. You can find him on the Take It or Break It podcast with Corbin A. Smith. Of course, John also writes for Real GM and is just an all-around solid bro. So what's going on, John? Oh, not much. You know, yeah, I do check out the podcast with Corbin, my enemy. I have off of work until Monday, actually. So we're talking while I'm on like a weird little vacation almost. And uh, the Bulls, of course, are not offering us any joy in this time of tundra. No, yeah, it's such a weird week in Chicago in general. I feel like everyone's pretty much checked out of work who I've talked to. It's like no one's going into work the next two days. It's just like a nice little uh, nice little winter break. It's a throwback to our school days when you would get snow days. It's like that's what we're getting now, only instead it's like a negative 20 degree below zero day. Yeah, only instead of now they tell you that you shouldn't breathe the air outside. You'll get immediate frostbite. My mom texted me that. Don't go outside, you'll get frostbite. So if my mom says it, it must be true. I guess that means we have nothing else to do with our lives besides for talk about the Bulls, John. So let's get into it. Yeah. Content. It's time for content. It's time for content. Since the last time we talked, or since the last time Jason and I recorded this podcast, the Bulls have done nothing but lose. Four straight losses since then. That includes a loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is just horrendous on so many different levels. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But the Bulls lost to Atlanta. Then they lost to the Clippers. They lose to Cleveland. On Tuesday night, last night, they lose to Brooklyn. John and I were actually at the Atlanta game. We got tickets for that game for like $10 on the secondary market, which I think just goes to show you you know, where fan interest is in, in the Bulls right now because I always look on StubHub or Vivid Seats for tickets and typically they're like $40, $50, even last year during the first year of the tank. 
this year there was just no one in that building and you know despite the fact that the bulls right now are still number two in the nba in attendance that's for tickets sold people just aren't showing up to these games and you know that's why we were able to get tickets so cheap for the atlanta game on wednesday it was still like a somewhat decent atmosphere i thought in the building but you know you can just tell that everyone's totally checked out of this season even the fans I could be wrong about this, but I believe that organizations often buy a bunch of their own tickets and then give them out as for like charity, and that often jukes attendance statistics or tickets sold statistics in any event. And the Bulls are certainly a team that's done a lot of that over the years. But I agree that it was a good vibe regardless. There's a certain weird solidarity that comes to going to actually going to games when the team is this bad and it's this cheap and it's this sort of empty in the stadium. It is to me as much as it is the dark days of actually rooting for the team and having hopes for them, it is sort of the golden era of going to the games. And I, I've always felt this way. I mean, this is a big part of why you and I are both White Sox fans as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to White Sox games last season for $7. You just buy the cheapest tickets in the park and no one's checking your ticket. You could literally sit anywhere in the stadium for White Sox games. I typically would like to go for dollar hot dog days on Wednesday, maybe throw down three hot dogs before first pitch. That was just sort of how I was wired to exist as a White Sox fan this past season. Bulls this year, very similar. I mean, by the time we sat down, they were down 10 to a Hawks team that's, you know, also in the bottom four in the league. And in a lot of ways, the Bulls lost this game 121 to 100. It wasn't even that close. I mean, the Bulls made a little bit of a run late, but uh, they were getting stomped for the majority of this game. I think it just shows the difference in the two rebuilds. Like while both of these teams are clearly, you know, in the Zion Williamson picture for that number one overall pick come June, the Hawks are going about this rebuild the right way in terms of, you know, Lloyd Pierce is a coach that actually runs a modern NBA system as opposed to Jim Boylan, who's like having fucking Mr. Potato Head out there calling out offensive sets. Uh, that's like a young team that feels like they're actually building towards something and developing towards something. Whereas the Bulls, it feels like there's no progress for anyone on this roster. And, you know, these being their first games without Wendell Carter Jr., I don't even know what the fans have to watch for at this point. Uh, Just a quick correction there. I would say that in the movie Toy Story 3, when they have to break out of the child daycare that Mr. Potato Head does flex a level of strategy that Jim Boylan has yet to show us. So it's an unfair comparison. So we're talking sub-potato qualities. Yeah, it's an unfair comparison uh, on the part of Mr. Potato Head there. I'm a big critic of mid-season firings of head coaches in general. I think that sometimes it makes sense. Like when the Cavaliers fired David Blatt, whoever one was annoyed by to give Ty Lue that job, and then they went to the finals. Like, okay, fine. There are some extreme circumstances. Generally, I think just uprooting your culture in that way in the middle of the season is symptomatic of larger problems within an organization and a larger sort of uh, fickleness syndrome and sort of a lack of vision. And that is clearly what's going on with the Bulls. And, you know, it's not what's going on with the Hawks. And the difference is, is visible and massive, right? And I think that the talent gap is either small or non-existent between the Bulls and the Hawks right now. It's, of course, much greater with Wendell Carter out of action, which has had a depressing effect that has compounded with the depression of playing for Boylan in a way that has made this team just so lethargic and just like rich in anime out there. They don't look 
happy for any longer than one possession at a time. It really kind of it sucks. Which is, I th- before we started recording, you mentioned that Jabari has actually been playing well recently, and I think it's because he's the only he's actually probably happy to be out there again, you know, while nobody else on the roster is. Dude, we were talking about this throughout the game. Zach Levine just looks horribly depressed right now. You can see it in every single thing he says. They'll talk to him in the press pretty much every day after practice, and he'll say something that amounts to, you know, well, we know Boylan's a complete dumbass, but we have no choice but to go out and, uh, you know, follow what he says. He said this after the Hawks game, too. I'm, I'm looking for the exact quote here. I haven't been able to pull it up, but it's, oh, here we go. He's like, you know, Basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he's saying the, the Hawks were getting into their stats, playing an up-tempo game. That's what we need to be doing. You know, we shouldn't be getting blown out against a team like Atlanta, who's also one of the bottom five teams in the league. Levine just really looks like he's in a bad place mentally right now. And, you know, say what you will for his basketball acumen, for his level of defense, for him being a team player. But like, holy shit, dude. I just feel bad for Zach Levine right now having to go through this garbage because, you know, if me and you know that Jim Boylan's a complete idiot who's running some fucking 1950s ass NBA offense, the players know it too. And Levine has been pretty vocal in his in his criticism and in his displeasure for how everything under Boylan has gone so far. Yeah, we don't even have to hang out with Jim Boylan and he makes us as mad as he does, right? Imagine if we had to hang out with him all the time. We're on a plane with him. He's telling us what to do at our job. That would be terrible. I wouldn't like that at all. And yeah, Zach is not being subtle anymore. He's, I, I think in a number of post-game comments, he said, like, I wonder what changed, right? Yeah. He was like, we were, we were getting blown out more now when we had our talent back than when we were shorthanded. I wonder what changed. He said that, like, repeatedly. And I wonder if the front office gives a shit about this. If they hear, if they a, if they hear it, and b, if they care. I mean, they have to. I would think Levine's exact quote. I, I dug it up after the Atlanta game. Atlanta, bottom five team, just like us. We shouldn't be getting blown out by them at all. They were out there moving the ball, playing well with pace. That's what 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 we should be looking like. We have to get to that. I mean, the Bulls just. They really fucked up by firing Hoiberg in the middle of the season, which is crazy to think because, you know, at no point during Fred Hoiberg's tenure did we think like this is a dude who, you know, is in even the top half of NBA head coaches. Uh, He never really proved himself at the NBA level whatsoever. A lot of that is because obviously he wasn't given rosters that sort of meshed with the type of coach he wanted to be. Uh, but by firing Hoiberg in the middle of the season, to me, that was a power play by Paxson. That was Paxson being, being like, Gar, you know, this was your guy. We gave him a chance. He totally blew it. Now we're getting back to John Paxson basketball, which is push-ups, wind sprints, and anything other than developing the young core on this roster, which is exactly what this season was supposed to be about from the very start. There's just no way for Larry Markinen for Zach Levine, for Chris Dunn, and for Wendell Carter when he was in the lineup to be able to prove themselves as NBA players when they're playing an offense that's always, you know, looking to score in the paint. This is the thing that that drives me insane about Boylan. It's like after every game, he's like, well, we beat him in points in the paint, so I think if we keep doing that, we're going to be okay. It's like, no, dude, you're getting outscored by 30 from the three-point line. You're not going to be okay, 
And you would have to like literally not pay any attention to basketball over the last 15 years to believe that's the case. Yeah, it's really crazy. They, they have discouraged Wendell, who's hurt now again, and uh, as I mentioned, had that sort of compounding depression factor on the whole team. But Wendell is somebody who definitely projects as a stretch five, right? Like he should be able to shoot threes and help with the offense, which is obviously something you want him to do for the Bulls going forward. But he's been discouraged from doing that. Uh, by by Boylan, he shot significantly less threes, right? Since Boylan became head coach, yeah. and it's like why, like why? And, and you're you're listening to me, and I am. I literally wrote a column about how annoying I find the hegemony of three pointers in the NBA recently. Like I think it's gone too far. Like it's it's overemphasized, but <laughs> you can't win without taking them. You have to take a lot of them. And if you have a center who can shoot them, he needs to be doing that instead of having your worst center have more post-ups than your good center is taking three-point shots. I mean, this is just the start of the issues with Jim Boylan. Like, it all dovetails from there. Really, the thing that, you know, one of the biggest things to happen uh, for the Bulls over the week was the injury to Chandler Hutchison, which happened at the end of that Atlanta game. While me and you were chanting, put in Vince for Vince Carter. Put in Vince, yeah. yeah. Vince was just hamming it up on the bench. Uh, that was garbage that we didn't get to see Vince because Vince. I know. There was it, it, some guys close to the floor started the chant, and then we picked it up and brought it to our section. Was, there was a moment where, like, the dumbest fight in NBA history almost happened with, like, 11 seconds left in a blowout between two bad teams in a game that no one is watching. They, like, almost started fighting because there's a slightly chippy play. There's 11 seconds left in the game, and everybody's just like, "We want Vince, we want Vince," and of course they don't. They don't give us Vince. But apparently, Hutchison got hurt in this little skirmish. Apparently, yeah, Hutchison gets hurt at the end of the Atlanta game. He comes back in against the Clippers, which is the next night on Friday. What does Jim Boylan do, John? He plays him 41 minutes. And now it comes out that Chandler Hutchison has to be in a walking boot. He's going to be out at least three or four weeks. Uh, And it's just like Boylan, you know, this is a clear fucking misstep. But but Jim Boylan defends himself and he says, quote, this guy wants to play, man. He's a starter in the NBA. It's his dream. Obviously, he could function with it. I give him credit for the toughness to fight through. Like how how backwards is this philosophy, John Williams? It's it's horrible, and it's obviously not the first time that we've had somebody not diagnosed, right? Like Omer Sheik, Luol Deng, Joaquin Noah. Like, well, yeah, so you could talk about that. You know, throughout the, throughout the Tibbs era, this was like clearly an issue and everyone just said blame Tibbs maybe we blame Tibbs now is that what John Paxson wants us to do but the Bulls have been doing this throughout the season I mean uh, you could look at Zach Levine who hurt himself in the Mexico City game against Atlanta also on the final possession and then played like 40 minutes the next night before missing uh, a couple weeks of action we have the misdiagnosed injury with Denzel Valentine initially in the preseason. They said it was a minor injury, and now he's out the entire year. He's in a walking boot, had to have surgery. Wendell Carter, I mean, we all just remember that. The Bulls thought 
uh, that it would be an, a big injury initially, and then their doctor said, no, he might actually be able to play the next game. Well, it turns out Wendell Carter has season-ending thumb surgery. So it's just ridiculous from top to bottom. And for all like the angst during the Tibbs era of you know pushing the guys over 40 minutes, playing them when they're hurt, it's like this is the same garbage happening now that Paxson literally fired Tibbs for when Tibbs did have a ton of success with this franchise and – I mean, just the way they cut ties with Tibbs was so disgusting. Do you remember that PR release that Reinsdorf Oh, yeah. Reinsdorf used the word foment in a PR release, which, first of all, why do you have a PR release from the owner when you fire a coach? That's just so over the top. And then why does that have the word foment in there, like, which just, you know, crystallizes the fact that Jerry Reinsdorf has honed passive aggressiveness into an art form. But, like, this is so ridiculous because the Jimmy Butler trade was for Levine and Dunn and the pick that became Laurie. And you for the longest time had basically nobody of information to work with in terms of judging the value of the return on that trade. Because last year, how many minutes did those guys play together? It was barely even a game's worth of minutes collectively. Right. Right. And in this season, the entire sample size almost except for one game, I think, the entire sample size of those three guys playing together is just, I throw it out as far as I'm concerned, because it's all under boiling except for one game. I just don't think that the stuff that we're seeing is indicative of what, of what could happen of potential or lack of potential or whatever. It takes like a truly trained eye at this point to, to assess the players on the bulls because the culture that Boylan is building and the, the strategic instructions he's giving the team uh, in combination with their youth and sort of lack of continuity and cohesion together. Like you can't, re- you can't really make anything out of this. It's just garbage, just shit being thrown at the wall. And what's really insane about it is that, you know, this is how Paxson wanted around the team. Like this is Paxson's guy. Paxson said that they lost their spirit. They lost their fight. Well, how's the spirit been when Zach Levine basically looks like he needs to, you know, go to some sort of counseling just to get through the Jim Boylan era right now. It's like the spirit's never been lower. Uh, And that's my other problem in terms of like, you know, you could say if you wanted to take, you know, an optimistic long-term view of the franchise, well, they're not going to have Jim Boylan forever. Me and you both know that. It would actually shock me if he's the coach of this team next season, despite the fact that they would have to pay three coaches because Boylan is just that outwardly horrible. But it's like, Boylan's a reflection of Paxson. These are the values that Paxson has held for 15 years at the top of the organization. He's put these in place. Boylan's a reflection of that. So why do we as fans have any semblance of faith moving forward that the Bulls, you know, could hire a cutting edge forward thinking head coach as they once did with Thibodeau uh, to replace Boylan when you know, this is the type of franchise they see themselves at? To me, they have to be the laughing stock of the rest of the league. First of all, I want to, before we forget, I want to cycle back on Chandler Hutchison. But at this point, I'm not confident that they'll fire him in the summer. And I'm not confident that he won't be the coach next year as well. Just because their incompetency has become so clear to everyone. And they have to, you would think that they would have to know that everyone knows that they're frauds and that they're bad at this and that they've failed objectively and repeatedly. But I think that there's a level of pride, perhaps, between uh, Foreman and Paxson, where they, they're sort of short-circuiting and in this sort of prolonged operative mode of denial that 
is very bitter at its core and could go on for a while and has little to do with reality because reality is that they've fouled objectively. And usually when someone fouls as badly as they have, they're sent away and they don't have to necessarily continue to try to clean up the mess that they've made, right? But that's clearly, that's clearly not happening in the situation. They don't have accountability. Reinsdorf and his son, Michael Reinsdorf, for whatever reason, have the utmost faith in these people to run the organization, probably because John Paxson made a shot in 1993. All of this has made me so cynical and made me care about the team and be hurt by the team on like a deeper level than I thought was possible because I thought that I was sort of like indifferent to it. But like it's so fucked up now that I'm like my like anger is renewed. But it also makes me so jaded about the future of the team that I can't be optimistic about Chandler Hutchison because he actually does play pretty well when he's out there. And like I really like him as a sort of glue guy for this young core. But like all of my silver linings are on lockdown until Boylan is not the coach. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, you know, Hutchison had been playing pretty well. Like you said, he was averaging eight points a game in 28 minutes a night uh, over the course of January. To me, Hutchison is like never going to be a high usage rate guy, but he's someone who ideally is just going to like give you a little length and athleticism on the court. He's never going to take a bad shot. You look this month, he was shooting 47% from the field, 80% from the foul line. So he's going to hit his free throws, contribute a little bit. And he's someone who's just like not going to force the action. So I do think, you know, potentially that could have been a good pick for the Bulls. Number 22 overall in the first round. Of course, they also promised him, uh, you know, well before even the draft combine, just because he's represented by Mark Bartlestein, who is the agent the Bulls front office is deeply in bed with. You'll find that as a common thread throughout the Jabari Parker signing, throughout a lot of the moves they've made over the last decade. But like you said, it's just so hard to find any level of optimism in this when we know how bad the people calling the shots are. Like to me... Yeah, they've had some draft success, and you can especially say that for Paxson over the last 15 years. And, you know, even the last two picks of Carter and Markinen, throw Hutchison in there, I think that those were good picks. Like, imagine if the Bulls would have taken Colin Sexton over Wendell. Imagine if they would have taken, you know, potentially Malik Monk or Dennis Smith over Lowry. I think that then the rebuild would be looking a lot more bleak. But it almost doesn't even matter because... It seems like, for one, they probably got lucky in making those picks. Perhaps that's a harsh light to shine right now, but, I mean, that's just where my head's at. And it's like, to me, the difference between what the Bulls are doing right now and, like, the process, what the Sixers did for their rebuild, is just, like, knowing that the the Sixers fans were so about the process because they knew they had the smartest guy in the room at all times, right? Hinky was going to do what was the best move for the organization long-term, no matter what. Whereas Bulls fans, we truly know in the bottom of our hearts that we have the dumbest people in the room, that we're that the people calling the shots for the Bulls are going to be taken advantage of by every other team. When Daryl Morey needs to dump a contract, he knows the bozos to call up because they're not going to ask for any draft picks. They're not going to ask for any future assets. Just give them cold, hard cash, baby. And the Bulls will... We'll take on your player. So it's just like knowing that, that level of enthusiasm to me is is what has really made this rebuild so tough. Yeah, I think that the reality is that, you know, we do have enough sort of uh, micro positives that could add up into an overall positive outlook, right? 
but our our macro negatives are just so overwhelming basically that we we can't even enjoy these things right we can't enjoy lori who i think has been good like this year since he's come back and then any sort of inefficiencies that are going on in his game are mostly systematic to boylan being the head coach right like i i watch him and i feel encouraged and i feel the same way about levine too who like at the beginning of the year before the firing of hoiberg and the replacing him with boylan took over as like the major narrative of the team the thing that people talked about with the Bulls most was like, hey, Zach Levine looks really good. Like, he is shooting threes at a good percentage. He's playing relatively efficiently. When there's anybody who's talented and healthy enough out there with him, he's actually at least trying to be a better playmaker. Uh, he still has, like, basically no schematic awareness on defense, and his athleticism basically just leaves his body when somebody sets a milk toast pick on him. But offensively he was looking really awesome at the beginning of this season and that's just like over now we just don't even think about that anymore yeah it's like Levine is a frustrating player to watch there's no doubt about it but like there's a good player inside there somewhere I think that could potentially be salvaged by a real coach and then by getting another superstar who would be probably the the focal point of the offense over Levine if Levine was sort of in the Kyrie Irving role to someone else's LeBron James I feel like that's sort of Levine's lane like if you threw him on the Sixers for instance I think he'd be great there someone who could provide shooting and athleticism for him on the perimeter and two guard in general is just sort of a weak position throughout the NBA especially guys who shoot it uh, that there is, there should be a good player in there, but it's like the Bulls are just doing so much damage to the psyche of the guys who are supposed to be the cornerstones of this rebuild with this constant losing, constant bullshit, playing the totally antique system. It's like you just wonder what the psychological damage is of these guys just having to go through a year like this when I guarantee you Zach Levine, when he got to training camp and he sees Mark and then he probably saw Carter right away that, you know, this guy is going to be a, a good piece for us, uh, you know, sooner than anyone thought. He's just got to be like, we should not be this bad. No, and they shouldn't be. And again, the midseason firing is just so dumb. And I think it's even dumber with a young team, obviously, because the only thing, the thing that they haven't had at all is consistency. And you're taking them in the opposite direction of getting any, right? And now, so we already had that problem with the Dunn, Levine, Markkinen thing where they just haven't played that many minutes together and you can't figure out what you have. And now the minutes they have played together was under Boylan. And then the real core is those three, potential real core, we don't, we don't really know. We, don't, we, well, we can get to Chris Dunn in a bit, but we don't know what his future with the team is going to be. But the, the four of them, when you add Carter that mix, because Carter is hurt now, which is mostly just like bad luck, but sort of also a medical staff issue. They've only played under Boylan, and they've barely played under Boylan. And you really just don't know what you have in terms of chemistry. Yeah, it's true. We have a lot more to talk about. I'm going to take a quick timeout for a read from our sponsor, MyPillow. Hey, it's Ricky from the Cash Considerations Podcast. And like the rest of us, you probably made a New Year's resolution. If you're planning to eat better, exercise more, be more patient, kinder, whatever... It all starts with getting a good night's rest. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the four-pack special. Enter the promo code COZY, C-O-Z-Y, and you'll get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows right away. 
It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes, John. If you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their four-pack, shipping is absolutely free. That's right, John. No shipping costs. Zippo, zilch, nada. And don't forget about their 60-day money-back guarantee. There's nothing better than the gift of restorative sleep. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, enter the code COZY to get two premium MyPillows, two go-anywhere pillows. That's MyPillow.com or call 1-800-966-1472. And remember, promo code can be used on any offer at MyPillow.com. That promo code is COZY. All right, John, we got a couple other things to talk about. The biggest story in the NBA this week is the trade demand of Anthony Davis. I think you could say that this is the biggest trade demand since what? Kobe, maybe? Since Garnett? I mean, Garnett, even at the time, was 31 when he was leaving Minnesota to go to Boston. Kobe, I don't know if there was ever really a realistic shot that Kobe was going to be traded, even though he did tell those guys in a mall parking lot by a Bulls jersey man. If you want my jersey, man, we're just going down memory lane right now. But but Anthony Davis, as <laughs> uh, a Kobe, as a long as a lifetime Kobe hater, I'm very glad that never happened. Sure, yeah, me too. Uh, but you know, Anthony Davis, he's on the trade market, sort of. I feel like ever since he hired Rich Paul is to be his agent, the arrows have just been have just been pointing towards the Lakers, but. Uh, What's sort of interesting about this, I think, is the report from Brian Windhorst that said Anthony Davis has zero interest in playing for his hometown Chicago Bulls. Anthony Davis, of course, from the south side of Chicago, went to Perspectives High School. And a lot of Bulls fans have said that, you know, oh, we're going to get Anthony Davis. These are the hashtag C-Red people, the people who truly believe John Paxton and Gar Foreman can lead the Bulls out of the depths of despair. My boy Bulls scripted on Twitter. He's just the absolute worst. He's one of these people who keeps beating the drum that the Bulls will one day get Anthony Davis. Well, guess what, guys? Anthony Davis knows that this franchise is trash. When Anthony Davis says he's looking for a first-class franchise, he's not talking about the one that would rather offer Willie Harris a 10-day contract than to go scout some young basketball players. This thing is totally a disaster, and I just feel like Davis, you know, just automatically ruling out his hometown Bulls just goes to show how how trash the situation is right now. Yeah, I think that that actually might be the number one way to summarize how badly things are being run. And it's it's weird, and we've talked about this, and you've written about this pretty extensively in your SB Nation columns about the Bulls, but it's weird to think about a time in which the Bulls were a prestige NBA brand, right? And they still are, like, amongst fans – like fans still really like the stuff. They still really like the jerseys. They still really like the nostalgia. Uh, it's still like one of the best classic designs of like a logo and a uniform, and it's still a big market and whatever. But like players haven't considered the Bulls a destination since Michael Jordan left for good. Like they haven't, and that is just such a fucking referendum on Reinsdorf and on the people he's kept in power to run this team that's insane like how does a team that won six championships behind the efforts of the greatest duo in nba history 
have no cachet among players and in one of the biggest markets and certainly one of the most famous American sports markets. How does this team have no cachet with stars? It's crazy. Yeah, here's the question. If they fired Paxson and Foreman, how quickly do you think that cachet could come back? Because I honestly feel like it could come back relatively quickly. It would probably have to start with, you know, getting a young stud in the draft or at least like the proven core developing a bit and obviously hiring a good young head coach. I do think it could come back though. Like I don't think the Bulls are permanently doomed to this free agent wasteland that they've been entrenched in for two decades at this point. I think it could come back. I think that, you know, you look at Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, they have all been uh, sort of tied, however loosely, to the Knicks, right? Like people think Kevin Durant could really leave the Warriors where he's going to win the championship every year to go to New York and sort of enter the savior role there. Uh, And the Knicks have been fucking trash for how long, John? I mean, the Knicks are legitimately one of the only organizations in all of sports that are as embarrassing as the Bulls. But for whatever reason, people still have more faith in the long-term team-building ability of the New York Knicks than they do compared to John Paxson and Gar Foreman. Well, I think that what you're getting at is actually something where there's a case for optimism. Um, I still am not optimistic because I don't think that Reinsdorf cares enough to ever make any changes. But like the Knicks, like you said, have been a clown car in the coaching and management position for a very long time. And they've mismanaged a lot of situations. The way that they traded everything for Carmelo when they could have just signed him as a free agent a few months later is like insane. Uh, And like that trade just sort of disrupted like an actually good team. People don't talk about that nearly enough. I don't think like the D'Antoni, Stoudemire, Knicks. They were awesome for that one year. They were off to a really great start. And then this mellow shit happens. And they had one good season where they made it to the second round. But that had mostly to do with like a weird confluence of like Wiley Vets, like old Jason Kidd, old Rashid Wallace, you know. But anyway, I'm getting off track. What the Knicks did was restore just a modicum of competence. They're like, oh, David Fisdale. Cool. Oh, let's get somebody who's not Phil Jackson like to run our team from a front office perspective. Cool. That's all it took. And like so much of that shit was erased. Well over a decade of just misfires and farting was erased by just that little modicum. Like all the Bulls would have to do is like just replace the front office and replace the head coach. And then all of a sudden stars would be like, oh, I want to be the one who like comes here and makes this team awesome again. Right? Like I want to be the one who like makes Bulls fans proud again. Like a lot of players would like to do that, but they're not going to step into this situation as it is. Let's talk about this, though. I mean, I wrote this story today on SBNation.com. I'm getting a lot of hate mail for it, John, which is no surprise. But, uh, you know, the idea that the team that wins the number one pick, like that is the most valuable asset in, in Anthony Davis trade demand. Like to me, that's the best thing the Pelicans could get. I love Jason Tatum. I think if Jason Tatum is headlining a package for the Celtics, that's terrific. But I would still rather have the number one pick if I'm the Pelicans. So then it goes to this question of like, you know, in a vacuum, who is actually more valuable, AD or Zion Williamson? Because with Zion, you're getting you're getting a 19-year-old, first of all, compared to a 26-year-old. Of course, Davis is so brilliant for someone that young. But it's also the cost control. It's like, 
The Pelicans had seven years with Davis. That's what any team who lands Zion is going to get him for at minimum because of the way the NBA does restricted free agency. If I'm the Bulls, and this probably sounds insane to most listeners, I would legitimately rather have Zion than Anthony Davis for a couple different reasons. One of them uh, is because of just the makeup of the team right now. I think that Zion could really help Carter and Markkinen reach their potential. Whereas with Davis, I mean, one of them at least would have to go. You couldn't play three true front court players together, uh, which was always a bind the Bulls were going to put themselves in by starting the rebuild with two front court guys in a small ball era. Uh, I think Carter and Markkinen are still terrific. Zion, to a lot of people, is a four. I think Zion's position in the NBA is going to be point guard. I've been saying this for a while. My boy, our friend John Charks, just wrote, uh, something similar this week on the ringer saying that he sees Zion as a point center. I don't know if Zion's really going to guard centers defensively at six, six with a six ten wingspan. It could happen because he has a low center of gravity is incredible hops, obviously. But what makes Zion so intriguing to me is him as like a lead offensive initiator, uh, basically playing the de facto point guard role that you see James Harden play, that you see LeBron play, that you see Ben Simmons play, you see Giannis play. Uh, for all of those reasons and a few more, I feel like as a Bulls fan, I would rather have Zion. Now, this is sort of a non-starter from the beginning because we already know Anthony Davis thinks the Bulls are a fucking trash franchise that he would never play for. So he's automatically ruling the Bulls out, even though he's hashtag from here. And, you know, the only organization that might actually have to make this decision is the Knicks. Like, if the Knicks get the first pick, do you trade it for Anthony Davis and try to sign Kyrie or Durant? I mean, in that case... I think you got to do it. Uh, go tr- go try to build that instant super team. But, you know, it's it's just the position the Bulls and all these other teams at the bottom of the league find themselves in right now. It's like there is what looks like a savior in this draft at Zion Williamson. And, John, I just can't stop thinking about how much better our lives will be if the Bulls were to somehow get them. Like, we're both in our early 30s right now. Our, our 30s will just be so much better, so much more enjoyable. If we get to spend them with Zion Williamson, I'm I'm really not letting myself go there. I don't want to construct my mind in a way that makes that seem like a possibility, because it will hurt when it isn't one. Even though it is literally a possibility, I mean, someone's got to get him. Someone's got to get him, right? Like, someone's got to get him. It's either going to be the Knicks, the Suns, the Cavs, the Bulls, the Hawks, the Grizzlies, the Magic. One of those teams is going to get him. All right, you can't put him in Phoenix. I don't think. That's, you know, a market that doesn't show out. It's definitely like, like, does anyone Phoenix care about the Suns? I don't know. That seems debatable to me. Uh, and they just got the first pick last year with Aiton. Obviously, they have Booker. So they have some talented young guys in place. I don't think the NBA can stick Zion in Phoenix. You definitely don't want to put him in Cleveland. Can you imagine the uproar that would happen if the Cavs won the lottery? After they won it three times in four years, they took Anthony Bennett the one year. Uh, obviously, they traded Wiggins for Kevin Love the next year. One year, it was Kyrie. The Cavs cannot get Zion. I mean, I would rather have Zion go anywhere but Cleveland. Atlanta would be pretty dope to see him play with John Collins and Trey Young. I think that that would be sick. But Atlanta, is it a bad sports town? That seems like it's the constant uh, topic of conversation around Atlanta. It's a bad Hawks town. I have a friend who's from Atlanta, and he doesn't even know who's on the Hawks. The Falcons, they love Falcons. He's got to go to the Knicks or the Bulls. He's got to. Well, as a basketball fan, if I can remove my, you know, my regionalism, my stupid, stupid-ass Bulls love, I would want him to be on the Hawks. I think that's the most fun place, and I think <laughs> that's that would be an awesome team right away. 
Um, I think that him and Trey and John Collins would be incredible together. In terms of like, oh, do you like try to get Anthony Davis or you try to get Zion Williamson? All the teams that are in a position to potentially get Zion Williamson are not really in a very good place overall, obviously, right? So I would take Zion instead because you have time to get to make your organization better for, for Zion to be that shot in the arm that like actually makes you improve your culture and your organization. Right. Whereas with Anthony Davis, you have to be like ready to do things right immediately. Um, and if you don't, then it's just going to be a big old mess. This Davis thing is such a fucking sham at the very onset of it. It's like already you saw Chris Hayes from Yahoo report that like he's not really interested in the Celtics because they don't know if Kyrie's going to resign. As soon as he signed Rich Paul as his agent, you knew he was going to go to the Lakers. And to me, it's like a done deal already. Like the only team Anthony Davis is going to play for is the Lakers. That That's what I think. If I were to give you the Lakers versus the field for where Anthony Davis ends up long term, let's say when he's ready to sign like a real new contract, not in like a rent-a-player situation, would you take the field or would you take the Lakers? Because I would take the Lakers. I would also take the Lakers. And I mean, I've, I've just I've heard enough scuttlebutt about conversations between the Pelicans and the Lakers. And obviously, if you're the Pelicans – your best case scenario through one perspective perspective anyway is not trading with the Lakers because they just they flat out don't have the best package to offer, even if they give them all four of those decent young guys and like all of their unprotected first round draft picks for three years or something, like even that can't really compare to like what the Celtics have to offer or even what the Knicks have to offer in my opinion. But if clutch and Rich Paul and Anthony Davis and, frankly, Le- LeBron James are playing this so hard, which I think they are, they're basically communicating that Anthony Davis is not going to commit to a long-term future anywhere but with the Lakers, and it's killing the leverage the Pelicans have to shop him anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And the Lakers the Lakers guys suck, dude. Like, Kuzma's had a good year. I Like, he, he's had a good year. There's no doubt about it. He's a productive player. He's still really flawed, I think, defensively. He's made some strides this year. But, like, I'm not, I'm not totally into a package around him. Ingram's just been terrible. Granted, Ingram is still young. I loved Ingram in that draft. I was a big Ingram guy. But he hasn't been able to shoot. He hasn't improved his game in any one area. His numbers have not gone up at all throughout the course of his career, now in his third season. And then we got Lonzo, which sort of transitions into my our next type of conversation, I think, which is that, you know, the Pelicans supposedly would want Lonzo in a trade with the Lakers. That makes sense. I, I'm still high on Lonzo long term. Lonzo doesn't like New Orleans. He doesn't want to be on the Pelicans. Uh, so, you know, potentially we're looking at a situation with a three-team trade here, and Ball's camp is reportedly interested in coming to the Bulls. So, John, what do you make of this report of Lonzo Ball's, you know, apparent interest in perhaps coming to the Bulls in the event he's traded from the Lakers? And do you want Lonzo Ball on the Bulls? I mean, I think he's actually a really great fit next to Levine in the backcourt because it's it's a very yin and yang kind of thing. Lonzo doesn't necessarily need to create his own shot, loves to create for others. Zach is really in his best when he's creating shots for himself and just trying to score, right? Uh, it really, the conflict comes in when we start talking about it in terms of Chris Dunn. Like, what do we think about Chris Dunn? What's his future with the franchise? How big of a contract is he going to be able to get as a free agent? And I like Chris Dunn. I don't think that he's really had a body of work 
that is necessarily going to be representative of his potential. Um, and he is a little older, of course, too. He came out of college older than most guys do. He's already 26, right? So, which is, you know, he's significantly older than their core, basically, right? He's actually about, he turns 25 in March. So happy early birthday, Chris Dunn. Oh, oh, somebody said he was 26. See, okay, so I like Chris Dunn is the thing. So I'm a little conflicted about that because I think that if Chris Dunn just like gets his turnovers down, then I like really like him. Um, and especially if Wendell Carter is going to develop uh, as a stretch five, then you have a stretch four in Laurie and Zach can shoot it. And I'm not as worried about spacing as I would be with Dunn as a non-shooter, not a non-shooter, but not a particularly good three-point shooter. Lonzo doesn't really slot in as a better three-point shooter. He does have a sort of level of um, creativity that's pretty profound if it could actually be unlocked in an NBA context, but we've only seen glimpses of that, really. And I, I like I like Lonzo. He's really tricky. I think in a lot of ways he's a fairly similar player uh, to Chris Dunn in terms of how I project the rest of their respective NBA careers. So I, to me, it's more of a wash. I feel a weird loyalty to Chris Dunn that I that I don't feel about Lonzo is basically where I come down on it. Yeah, it's weird because I think you're right that they are sort of similar players on the ground level. It's like uh, both of them struggle to shoot the basketball from three. I think that that's the first thing you know you notice. Uh, they're both pretty good defensive players, done better on the ball. Dunn's a really good on-the-ball defender. Lonzo's a really good like roamer defensively where he's – you know, a great help side defender, able to block shots, make steals, get out and transition. So, you know, on the surface level, they are sort of similar players. What really surprised me pulling up their basketball reference pages is that I would say from a scouting perspective, Lonzo is a much better passer. But Chris Dunn last season uh, put up a 33% assist rate, this year a 32% assist rate. Lonzo, now granted Lonzo just turned 21 and Dunn is about to turn 25, but Lonzo was at a 29% assist rate as a rookie and only a 23% assist rate this year. I do think based off, you know, Lonzo's pedigree and off what he showed at UCLA, I do think that he is a better facilitator and playmaker than Dunn. I actually have more faith in him to shoot it better from the outside too, because Lonzo was above a 40% three-point shooter at UCLA. He did have so many makes there that showed off, you know, deep shooting range. Uh, Lonzo Ball has not been a good shooter, though, at the NBA level. I think that that's, you know, not breaking news to anyone. This year, he's hitting 33% of his threes at five a game. Meanwhile, Chris Dunn, uh, Chris Dunn this year is shooting somewhat similarly. He's at 33% this year, but he only takes 1.7 a game. Dunn has been, like, really scared to shoot threes this year. I do think I would do this trade and take Lonzo on the Bulls because of that passing acumen and because I think that just the way Lonzo plays the game, basically looking for like the quick hit offense, uh, whereas Dunn likes to over dribble. He's a much more methodical player. I think that Chris Dunn, uh, he doesn't make decisions as quickly as Lonzo. So I think that that would really benefit Markinen and Carter to get Lonzo in like a quick hitting offense. But my overall take on this is that I don't want the Bulls to do this move until they find out what's happening in the draft lottery. Because if they get Zion, I don't really know if you need Lonzo in that situation. Like if I'm getting Zion, I'm playing Zion on the ball 
And then if the point guard spot, I want kind of a three and D guy in the vein of like prime George Hill or Patrick Beverly, someone who can just sort of spot up and give Zion all the space in the world he would need to operate. Uh, neither Dunn or Lonzo is really going to be that guy. So to me, I'm holding off a little bit. And I guess, you know, the one silver lining to this is that I don't think Davis is going to get moved this season in season at the trade deadline. I think New Orleans has to wait until uh, the offseason to deal him. No, and the reason they're making the requests now or the demand or whatever trade demand now is because they know that the Pelicans are going to want to trade him to the Celtics. But not until the summer, because I don't, you know, I'm not a sort of camp, a cap wonk or whatever, but there's inclusions the Celtics can make in their package in the summer that they can't make until the summer. They can't make them now. So they're basically trying to like rush the Pelicans and play these head games with the Pelicans and sort of get them shook and make them feel like they have to make a trade now so that they can get Davis where they want him to be, which is L.A. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, that's why this is just such a bummer. I mean, in a sense, it's cool, I think, because I'm always pro player in these situations. So if Anthony Davis wants to be in L.A., I mean, God knows he spent a lot of time uh, carrying, you know, a franchise that hasn't done much for him in New Orleans. But uh, it's just killing the Pelicans leverage. And it's tough because uh, why would anyone really go all in for Anthony Davis trade a veteran when you know it's a rental situation? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely like pro player, pro player power. This is all like stuff that's happening, though, that's going to be like stuff that I really like to read about in a book about this era in 15 years. But in real time, a lot of what LeBron does in terms of pushing his power further and stuff and basically being an agent while he's also a player and also being like in movies and stuff. A lot of it has resulted in a, an actual basketball product that I don't find very enjoyable. Um, it, it ends up with him sort of like playing Cold War tactics against front offices and going now almost two full seasons, which is a dog shit roster. And it's like not fun to watch him like drag these bums up and down the court over and over again. And it's all part of the big picture. I get it. But it's like, man, I just like, I miss it when I would watch you dominate and then it was Kyrie's turn to dominate, you know? And so if they actually, if they are able to pull this off and get AD and square off against the Warriors in the playoffs, then maybe it will have all been worth it. But I'm, I'm like, it's a, it's a big old PR charade that doesn't rarely equates to like very enjoyable to watch basketball. How about Kyrie going there too? I mean, LeBron and Kyrie, they're talking now. Kyrie said that, uh, you know, he uh, quote unquote apologized to LeBron after some of the struggles the Celtics have gone through this season. Kyrie, a free agent after the year, he did sort of commit to the Celtics during uh, media day training camp this year, but there's been all these rumors that like Kyrie's not totally sold on Boston. Uh, wouldn't that be something if Kyrie goes to LA, rejoins LeBron and they get Anthony Davis, uh, that would just be wild. I want to ask you one last thing before we get out of here. How do you feel about this for a conspiracy theory that Danny Ainge compared LeBron to Trump in December? Do you remember this? It was after LeBron said that he was the GOAT, that winning the championship in Cleveland against the 73-win Warriors, that made him feel like he was the greatest player of all time. He said that uh, on one of his HBO shows. Danny Ainge was asked about these comments and he said, quote, his career's not over. 
I'd just like to, why he's saying that, I don't know. Maybe he thinks that that sells. Maybe he's taking the Donald Trump approach and trying to sell himself. I don't know. Uh, Danny Ainge, if you really planned all this time to get Anthony Davis in Boston, as everyone believes the Celtics have been doing, why the hell do you think that LeBron's best friend is going to hand deliver him to Boston after you just compared him to Donald Trump? How about that for a conspiracy theory? I, I mean, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think that was completely stupid. And like Danny Ainge, first of all, has given been given far too much credit as being some sort of brain genius by like NBA media for too many years now. It's ridiculous. He's gotten really lucky in most cases. The Nets thing was cool, I guess, but a lot of that might turn out to actually, you know, not really pan out into much. But yeah, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> I remember like five years ago when LeBron was still on the heat and um, Danny Ainge was trying to say that, uh, oh, LeBron is complaining about uh, fouls too much or something. Pat Riley said Danny Ainge needs to shut the fuck up and manage his own team. Uh, I think that Danny Ainge probably should have taken that advice, right? Like, and, 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 and regarding LeBron saying that he's the GOAT in that moment, or not saying that he's the GOAT, but saying that he felt like the GOAT in that moment, Dude, I felt like he was a goat in that moment. I'm I'm a Jordan stan for sure. I have an entire podcast that's just about Michael Jordan, which all of you should check out. Take it or break it with Corbin Smith. But LeBron in 2016, that is a championship that is greater than any of Jordan's individual championships. And that was like I was I really loved like just like living in the basque of that championship. And he absolutely should have felt that way in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was just the craziest series. The, the best NBA finals like of the decade for sure. And I don't know how far back you want to go, but that was the one where I was like, we are like actually witnessing living history right now and watching LeBron do that like in a good way. Like not like Trump is about to be president and we're all probably going to die. It was like, this is history in just the greatest way. And I think LeBron closed that series with like three 40 point triple doubles, but the game seven, he was like, I think he scored like, you know, almost 30, but uh, of course makes the great block on Iggy Dowell at the end. And that was just ridiculous. We should wrap this up. So we've been going for 54 minutes, but John, I do want to give you the opportunity just really quickly, since it's Bulls fans that listen to this podcast only uh, at your podcast, take it or break it with Corbin Smith. You guys are more talking about the NBA on a national level, but like you said, you do have uh, the Jordan only podcast, which our listeners might be into. So you want to give just the, uh, the quick sales pitch on that and uh, how, how listeners can find that podcast. Yeah, we have just like the regular podcast. You can follow me at John Wilmes, W-I-L-M-E-S, words uh, on Twitter, or at Corbin, my co-host, at Corbin A. Smith. Sorry, that's my dog barking. Um, And we do the regular podcast, which is free, but then we do a subscribers-only one where we talk about Michael Jordan. We watch old games. We dig into old series. Sometimes we'll look at all the commercials he was in. Most recently, we... Looked at a time that he actually lost a one-on-one game in like 2003 to a a hedge fund billionaire who was like hosting him as part of this uh, like rich people fun camp with Michael Jordan. It's a fascinating document, but um, it's pretty hilarious. But yeah, just check that out. Check me out on Twitter. And you know, hey, Ricky, Ricky. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, thanks for joining. 
the Cash Considerations podcast. You know, you're the second guest in Cash Considerations podcast history, only behind the immortal Sean Hyken. So legends only, as far as I'm concerned. John, you rule, man. Everyone go subscribe to Take It or Break It on Patreon. Subscribe to the free one. Get the MJ only one. Do it all. All right, and uh, what's the dog's name, John? Oh, it's Baxter. Baxter, be quiet. All right, well, for Baxter, for John, I'm Ricky. This has been Cash Considerations. Thanks to John again for hopping on while Jason is trapped in Disney World. We really need to devote a whole podcast to that when Jason comes back. But this is Cash Considerations. Thanks for listening. Later. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com